This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market closed to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye, bye, bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Ferro. You are listening to The Capital live across the capital, The Cable, on DAB Digital Radio. As I admit, I ran from another game to a TV radio studio, so forgive me, please. Thank you. In the equity market at the close in London, at just gone 5 p.m., the score as follows. The FTSE 100, negative 1.17%, negative across the continent and softer in the United States, with the S&P 500 down a third of 1%. In the FX market, largely a dollar strength story against pretty much everything in G10, including the pound. $1.3132 is where cable trades at the moment, down six tenths of 1%. And that risk aversion spills into the bond market as well. Treasuries with a bit of a bid throughout much of the day. We're stable now, unchanged on a 10 year at 2.85%. So that gives you a feel of this market cross asset. Let's welcome back Charlie Pellet, shall we? For your news, Charlie. Hi, thank you very much, Jonathan Farrow. Indeed, lots going on on this Monday. Let us begin in the UK and Tesco forming a purchasing alliance with French retailer Carrefour to increase its leverage with suppliers in a consolidating and price-squeezed supermarket business. The alliance between two of Europe's largest retailers with combined annual sales of about 171 billion US dollars aims to enhance the company's clout in buying branded goods and private label items as competition from discounters ramps up. Tesla did it. It says it engineered a late quarter production burst with the Model 3, the model that is pivotal to Elon Musk's goal of putting electric vehicles into the driveways of mainstream consumers. Tesla CEO Elon Musk says output reached 5,031 in the last week of the second quarter. Let's talk about the airlines. Competition getting even tougher for Air France KLM as yet another low-cost operator offers cheap transatlantic flights out of Paris while the Franco-Dutch carrier struggles with a top management void and labor strife. British Airways parent IAG has started discount links between Paris and Montreal through its low-cost arm level, taking direct aim at Air France KLM on the busy route. It has additional flights planned from September to New York for as low as £115 one way. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you. Did you just bring up um, airlines so you could talk about your holiday? Uh, I love airlines. I'm willing to talk about airlines anytime, but yes, I had the most amazing thing that happened to me on my holiday. It had nothing Tell to me. do with the wonderful cruise ship I was on. I got bumped from LaGuardia Airport in New York City now, on the way down to Miami. people, Charlie, this isn't the idea of a good thing. It's fantastic. Why wouldn't it be awesome? So how much money did you make on getting Seven, bumped? I got 800 U.S. dollars. Last exchange, uh, if you uh, do the exchange on that, that's roughly 600 sterling for, getting, uh, uh, for spending three hours at an airport until you catch the next flight. Did that cover? your flight. I ended up buying, and by the way, a plug for Bloomberg here, it, not only did it cover the flight, but I ended up buying one of those smartwatches for my son, uh, a, a, a Samsung smartwatch. What I didn't realize is that Bloomberg has one of the watch faces that you can use on that, complete right. with the uh, Dow, the FTSE, all sorts of financial information, more but, than you ever wanted from so me. So you but, made money from going to the airport. Uh, three hour, and the crazy thing, Jonathan, is they wanted, they took my name for the one o'clock flight to possibly bump me off of that. Oh, so you were 
willing to make it. I, I was money. willing to do it even more. And bottom line is, they didn't need. What me does your it. wife say when you just sit there and you just want to make money yeah, sitting she, at the airport? Yeah, well, she wasn't with me, which is one of the things that you know oh, when right. you're traveling by yourself. You know what? She would whine about it anyway, regardless. So she would, oh, you only got eight hundred pounds, eight hundred. You know, you, I wouldn't travel with you ever. You would love it, Jonathan. It's I think so it much would drive fun. me insane. I disagree with you, mate. You'd have so much fun, Charlie Pellet. It's great to have you back. I did miss you. So we'll uh, see you in about. Tomorrow we'll talk about the Harry Chess contest on the cruise ship. I'd rather skip that one. You would do very well in that contest. I don't think I would. You Cheers. should tell someone else about it, though, please. Cheers. Um, Charlie Pellet. I hope he stays out of trouble with HR love you, bro. today. I love you too, Charlie. I'll see you in about 26 minutes' time. Um, to talk about the top stories of the day, I'm really pleased to say that joining us now, of course, from London, is Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Opinion Columnist, and Michael Hewson, Chief Market Analyst for CMC Markets in London. Um, Mr. Hewson, have you ever made money from going to the airport? No, I can't say that I have, and I'm glad that I really don't have to follow that. Yes. <laughs> you know, Harry Chess competition. I have no idea on. what happens on his holidays, and I don't want to know what happens on his holidays. It I sounds like something from the 1920s, doesn't it? doesn't it? It's not the love boat, is it? No, I've got no idea what kind of boat it is, and I'm not sure I want to know either. Um, or as they say in the UK, dodgy boat, never mind. Yeah, all right. Um, Marcus, your thoughts on what's happening in markets and why we are laser-focused on the Chinese currency again? Well, we come in at the start of the second half uh, with uh, some pretty um, spicy stuff over the weekend, particularly the European Union's push back before they even had anything whacked on them really um oh, do you go near us we'll whack 300 billion dollars of tariffs on your goods um after some some stern rhetoric from fox uh interview with trump so that's i think is what spooked china uh and that's why i was looking at, scratching my head looking at the nikkei this morning thinking why is the nikkei down so much there's no logic and i thought oh yes china is down even more uh so it's sort of global trade fears um However, uh, this afternoon, as the states come in, things have sort of seemed to turn around a bit. It's not anywhere near as worrying as we thought it might be because it was looking like a bad day. We've got lots of other things moving around, but Italy came back strong. Greece is below 4%, so you know, there are some sort of signs of, uh, of risk on. Yeah, better than this morning, Michael, but the, the Chinese gone. currency story, I, I just want to, you know, I wouldn't call it risk on yet. Just re- relative to where we were this morning, um, it's certainly yeah. better. It's a little bit firmer, Michael. And I will well, ask it, about well, the Chinese is, currency just to jump in. Yeah, yeah. Can you unpack what you think the driving forces behind that are? Well, you mean apart from the stronger dollar? Yeah, apart from the stronger dollar and whether the Chinese authorities are letting this one rip a little bit. I think there's, a, I think there's potential for that, but I think they're also doing a significant amount of economic damage to their own stock market by allowing the one to weaken as much as it is. Um, maybe they feel they can absorb it better. I don't know, but... Um, yeah, I, think I, don't we, think want, I don't think they want the, the one to weaken. I, I think that's a bit of a... Well, it's a big move. It's a big move, Marcus. And, know. you know, we might see some intervention. I mean, what I would say is we haven't gone above the levels that we saw in October last year. So maybe there's a bit of a barrier at 6.7. Maybe that's the tipping point. I think maybe they'll intervene overnight to push it back down towards 6.6. But the rhetoric does appear to be ratcheting up. We had the Canadian tariffs come in at the weekend... And I think there's that combined with the fact that not only did President Trump up his rhetoric against the European Union over the weekend, but he also took a couple of um, shots at um, Saudi Arabia. Uh, in Which we'll we talk about in a moment. Which, which, yeah, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. And obviously there's this chatter about the European Commission and the $300 billion worth of US tariffs. And I just can't help thinking that 
there needs to be some element of, hang on a minute, do we really want to go down this road? Because we've been down this road before in 1930 and it didn't end well. I think at some point, one side or the other needs to take a step back. And yes, I think President Trump is spoiling for a fight. Well, let's um, question the premise of that statement, shall we, Um, Mm. Michael? Do you think we are about to embark on going down a road similar to the 1930s? Because the tariffs that are being put forward certainly aren't anywhere near as severe as they were in the 1930s. No, they're not. But what I would say, John, is that... Let's go back to 2002 when the... um, Bush administration implemented tariffs then. Now, they lasted 18 months, and the European Union actually didn't jump in and implement counter-tariffs to those tariffs. They were going to, and they threatened to, but they actually held back. The difference this time is the tariffs have come straight, uh, the, the tariffs have come straight back the other way. And now what you're getting is tit for tat. And I think the worry is that investors have is this escalation is just building and building and building, and it's, bit, it's having an avalanche effect on risk appetite. Michael Houston, sticking with me, alongside Marcus Ashworth. We'll talk a little bit more about what's happening in the markets, and we'll get to that story that Michael just pointed out. Oil. The United States piling the pressure on Saudi Arabia to boost production. Just what can the Saudis do, and will it have any effect whatsoever? On the commodity market, Brent and WCI, a little bit softer today. That conversation next. You listen to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. It was the tweet in the morning on Saturday. It came from the President of the United States, who said, just spoke to King Salman of Saudi Arabia and explained to him that because of the turmoil and dysfunction in Iran and Venezuela, I am asking the uh, Saudi Arabian Peninsula to increase oil production, maybe up to 2 million barrels a day to make up the difference. Price is too high. He has agreed. With me, Michael Houston and Marcus Ashworth. And Marcus Ashworth, it wasn't clear to me whether he'd agreed that prices were too high or he'd agreed to boost production by 2 million barrels of oil a day. Um, Subsequently, we got a US press release that kind of walked this back a little bit and no mention of increasing 2 million barrels a day over in Saudi Arabia either. So what is happening? I think the expression capacity was was interspersed for the word production in the sense that uh, we all know you meant production, but they try to walk it back by saying it says, want to increase your capacity. Um, but, you know, that's the point. It, you would have thought by now that the, uh, if anywhere, increased production and capacity would have been coming from um, shale in the States, but it, it can't quite seem to ramp up enough. At the moment, Saudi's got um, in a position it's not been for a very long while. It has the ability to ratchet up and ratchet it down as it sees fit, and it is very much the uh, um, deciding factor in where oil goes. So um, they will tweak it up a bit, but they're certainly not going to be um, seen to be at the beck and call of uh, Mr. Trump. Mike Houston. May think. Well, I suppose it really begs the question is how quickly can you replace 3.8 million barrels of Iranian production? And the answer to that is probably not very quickly. So President Trump seems to think that Saudi Arabia has 2 million barrels a day of spare capacity. Whether or not that is the case is open to debate. But I would argue that if it's really a matter of timing with respect to um, replacing that output from Iran, maybe President Trump could think about opening up the SPR if he wants lower fuel prices. I asked that question today. 
And what was the answer? <laughs> um, I had it from an analyst, and the analyst said, yes, you can't rule that out. Yeah, I mean, that, that for me, I think, is really the fallback position for the president if he's concerned about a $4 a gallon uh, fuel price on the west coast of the United States. Or they could sort out their pipelines as well, couldn't well, they? Well, yeah, that is not much longer, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think also the fact that we've, we've seen a little bit of a sell-off today, I think, is largely as a result of the stronger dollar. Because the dollar's up against the copper, that hit a three-month low today. Platinum's down 3.3%, palladium down, gold down, silver down. So I think this is very much a strong dollar move as opposed to a weak oil move. Um, I think ultimately, unless there is some form of um, increase in production, um, prices will probably head back towards $80 it, a barrel. It depends where the oil is. I mean, the, the, you can increase it in the Louisiana offshore mm. oil ports you know, as much as you want to for other SPR, but <clears throat> that's got plenty of oil as it is already coming in from um, from the States as it is and, and the Gulf of Mexico, whereas Iran is, is what's feeding um, particularly India and China is, is much closer to that part of the world and that's, that's why it's going to cause um, um, dislocation it's obviously you know, in the wrong part of the world yeah but obviously Trump doesn't care about that he's, no, he's only concerned about course. the US consumer and, and Trump looks at it quite binary is that he's yeah. got really really strong growth in the states and a lot, a lot of the other the rest of the world doesn't and therefore he's using that advantage hmm. as with the, the dollar being the reserve currency f- as long as he can it, it, it's the maximum point of, of pain he can um, he can inflict and McKinsey did a report that said that six times more uh, effect to China than it is on the US, uh, the trade um, tariff bat- battle, and that's clearly what's showing out through Chinese stocks and, this and bother- the Chinese and, yeah. currency. And this, and this bothers me, Marcus, because ultimately I think the EU and China need to be playing this a lot more sensibly, otherwise the outcome could be very, very nasty for the rest of us. Correct, yeah. But at the moment, it's it's a simple bully tactic, isn't it? Mm. Just going to let you guys keep going. It's great. Thank you both. <laughs> um, Marcus Ashworth and Mark Hewson sticking with me next up on a programme. Is Chancellor Merkel in a little bit of trouble? And what does the future of Germany, and for that matter, the future of European politics, look like? Those questions next with the euro deep into negative territory throughout much of today's session. Euro-dollar at the moment, 116.07, and down by... About six-tenths of one percent from New York for London. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. Just gone 5.18 at the close. The FTSE 100, negative 1.17% in the FX market. Just a stronger dollar story. Smashing around some of the world's major currencies, including sterling. The pound down to 131.27 and down by six-tenths of 1% on the day. Bit of a risk-averse session throughout much of the day so far, but firming up as the hours progress for the equity market on the S&P 500 in the United States. Down about a half of 1%, down six-tenths of 1% on the Dow. The euro weaker, and it's not just the economics or the scares of a trade war. It's about the politics as well. Euro dollar 116 in Germany. The fate of Chancellor Angela Merkel's ruling coalition is said to be decided. Merkel's Christian Democratic Union and its Bavarian sister party will try to resolve a dispute over migration policy. The German interior minister wants to turn back migrants who have been registered first in another EU country. 
Merkel has rejected that idea. Still with me, Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg opinion columnist, and Michael Houston, chief market analyst for CMC Markets in London. And Marcus, one of the great things that you've done on this program for us, and we thank you for it, is uh, giving us some insight into European politics and ultimately telling us what it does and does not mean for financial markets. So help us here again with Germany and Chancellor Merkel. Ha! I've got no clue. Um, in the essence that, it, will it move bunt yields? I doubt it does. Obviously, if she were to f- collapse, then possibly they will push a little bit lower in yield, maybe down to 20 or whatever it may be. But really, they are so tight now, I don't think there's much um, further for them to drop in yield. Will they scream up in yield? I'm not so sure they will either. And they sense I think we're fairly locked in for much wider uh, reasons around politics. Um, now, clearly, this is a battle over the October elections in Bavaria. Uh, Seehofer is, I think, playing an increasingly poor hand. And uh, I, I suspect that Merkel will probably prevail here. Uh, I'd be surprised if it weren't to happen that there's some form of lovely let's all kiss and make up type sort of uh, ish story, which, which just delays this situation. Whether Merkel can last for much longer into next year is a different story altogether. But a bit like May... She is the least worst option, probably, for uh, most of Germany politicians. And the CSU, CSU, they push their luck too much, they'll get switched out in the coalition by the Greens, and they will disappear, possibly, off the political face of the earth if they're not careful. Yeah, and the difference, I would say, between Merkel and May is that there are people that actually want Merkel's job. And at this point, um, Marco Houston, I'm not sure anyone wants Theresa May's job, do they? No, I don't see, a, I don't see people lining up at the door to replace her and I think that's really what keeps her in position ultimately I think she's going to be the ultimate fall guy or scapegoat for when the final deal um, gets through whatever that deal is I think once March the 19th comes and goes or we ink some sort of agreement with the EU that's the time to move against May but before then I think she's probably fairly secure um, out of I think a sense of self-preservation on the part of, con- of the Conservative Party, who've come out on mass today, um, pretty much against um, the Jacob Rees-Mogg's um, Brexiteers. Marcus, can you yeah. help me out with the big question? Yeah. When's the Greek-like summit in Brussels, where they all stay up really, really late? October. It's October. Well, yeah, that's the one where they really, really have to do uh, something special, should we say. Uh, obviously, we've got Austria's um, Kurtz coming in, the new president of uh, the European Union, in the sense for six months, it's the rolling, rotating presidency, and Austria is the uh, the party here. So they are, they'll be sort of hosting summits and doing sort of their chance to sort of uh, push their agenda. It'll be quite interesting to see how that dynamic plays out for, for Merkel, uh, and therefore what actually ends up for May in that sense. Do we have something? At the moment, there's no signs that Barnier has been pushed um, but some of the more pra- pragmatic heads may sort of in the Eurogroup reach over and say, look, we, we need to give uh, chuck a bone to the UK at the uh, yeah. yeah. We have a very difficult um, body bag summit uh, coming up in Czechos this week. I don't like that phrase. I really <laughs> no, don't. No, nor do I. I um, but, you know, the th- thing is that someone somewhere is going to resign. And, and, and uh, we've had a few sort of lower level ministerial um, 
Remainer ministers leave, um, which hasn't achieved that much, but it's it's rattled a couple of things. Doesn't but, this uh, all just highlight the short-sightedness of Chancellor Angela Merkel, that if she'd really thought about the immigration situation on the continent when Prime Minister Cameron first went to her to get concessions from the European Union to present to the British people before the referendum, I mean, if we could redo that again, I imagine Europe would be a, an incredibly different place, Marcus. Yeah, so, I like think... Yeah, it's it, well. You say it's her legacy, but I think it's going to destroy her legacy. I think uh, how she reacted after Fukushima and cancelling nuclear power and, and Germany was a very mistake. short-sighted all the time. And I think how she's act, handed over Brexit and indeed this immigration problem has been uh, something which I, I think a reflection will, will will damage very badly her legacy. And I think the reaction to this is symptomatic as what's happened post uh, the financial crisis and, and Europe's reaction in 2011 when all of a sudden it was spotlight was on Europe yeah. and the intransigence that's come throughout that and in some sense I think when and if she does go that will be a potential turning point for Europe and, and very much what I hope for the better Well it's also incremental um, Marcus isn't it because I'm wondering how much headspace they'll have in October given the fact that they also have the small matter, small matter and this will interest you John of agreeing this new Italian budget and with Salvini on a collision course with the EU I think there is potential for a, a few curveballs there as well. Yeah, I just get the feeling that in Europe at the moment we're not heading to some sort of catastrophic inflection point. It's just a slow burn and a reminder that 2017, I guess in many ways, Marcus, was the anomaly. And now 2018, we're back to normal. I'd love to agree with you on that one, but I, I think there are, they just delayed it for a, a, a later time and that time is running increasingly further out. I think what... Michael's saying there, Salvini is a wrecking ball and he's intent on uh, on putting Italy's um, needs, should we say, uh, uh, right on the top table and no longer being dominated by France and Germany. And that's something yeah. which, as said with Kurtz, you know, watch out for him because everyone thinks Macron. It could well be he, him being the uh, instrumental part between uh, Hungary, Austria, Italy. They all have different agendas on, on immigration, but they could well all align against Merkel. Really interesting stuff, guys, and really appreciate your insight um, on what's happening in Europe and beyond. Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Opinion columnist, and Michael Houston, Chief Market Analyst for CMC Markets in London. That does it for The View from London. Up next, The View from New York. The trade story and a whole lot more. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable. On Bloomberg Radio, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio, I am Jonathan Ferro. The story across markets today, negative as we kick off Q3 on a downside. Down by 1.17% on the FTSE 100, negative a half of 1% on the DAX in the United States. A little bit softer too, we're down four tenths of 1% on the S&P 500, down a half of 1% on the Dow. In the FX market, dollar strength, the story through G10, euro dollar down almost seven tenths of 1%. Subs... 116, very briefly, 116.08 in the here and now. In the Treasury market, there was a bid. We give some of that up. 10-year yields relatively unchanged at 285. In the United States, your two-year Treasury note, that yield bleeding a little bit higher by a basis point to 2.54%. And that spread between twos and thirties grinds back down towards 30 
basis points at about 31 basis points at the moment. That's a story for later in the programme. Let's get you the top stories from around the world and say hello to Charlie Pellin. Hi, thank you very much, Jonathan Farrell. Going to begin with Tesla. It did engineer a late quarter production burst with the Model 3. That is the model that is pivotal to Elon Musk's goal of putting electric cars into the driveways of mainstream consumers. Musk says output reached 5,031 in the last week of the second quarter, exceeding a target that he had said was crucial to generating cash and earning profit. Tesco forming a purchasing alliance with French retailer Carrefour to increase its leverage with suppliers in a consolidating and price-squeezed supermarket business. And competition getting even tougher for Air France KLM as yet another low-cost operator offers cheap transatlantic flights from Paris. British Airways parent IAG has started discount links between Paris and Montreal through its low-cost arm level, taking direct aim at Air France KLM on the busy routes. It's got additional flights planned from September to New York for as low as £115 one way. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you. Charlie Pellet, so how much did your holiday actually cost if you <laughs> if you got $800 back from the airline? Well, does it include bucks? my wife's gambling losses in the casino? No, no, probably like you know, 50 quid. With that, you know, that, you not spent, a lot. You, what you say, the whole trip was 50 quid. No, 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 no. The, it, I, I'm, I'm not going to get into specific did you, numbers. Did you use points? I, I used, we used points on one of the tickets. We got an upgrade through deals, discounts, onboard credits, was in a suite instead of a regular room. But that's How because, long does it take for you to book a holiday? Uh, it, you know, again, it all depends. You know, it's like, it's like asking the question, how long does it take to find a parking spot in London? Sometimes you've got luck on your no, side I and just, it just I happens. I just mean that for some people they would just go on Expedia or any other yeah. website and go um, package we're, we're, holiday and we're gonna book a trip. We're going to go trip. on Charlie. Charlie yeah, right, right. Traveling. <laughs> for now, he's booking all my trips. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so does well, it take a few hours to sort of like it, go it, through everything it, and work it, does, it out? You know, some, no, what a, the, the parking analogy is sometimes everything just falls into place. The other game I play is booking far into the future. So, for instance, if I knew that I could get off uh, a year from now for this coming holiday weekend, I would start booking now and plan my vacation. Well, next then, week's a points. big one in the States it because um, July 4th falls on a Thursday. Yeah, big holiday. It's, like, it's yeah. the race to get the Friday off. Yes. Yeah. Right. Big, big holiday in the UK, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, just kidding. Huge. <laughs> it's, it's very funny in America that they think the Brits care about Independence Day as if it's some kind of what? like... Offensive thing. Nobody cares. My old boss at BP, who was at the time the Honorable Lord Lytton, uh, he he would have a barbecue at the Nebworth Manor House, which was his home, because he thought it was funny. Yeah, I and don't fun. Think, no, no one in the UK And he would cares. actually do the barbecuing. Everyone comes up to me and says, what do you do July 4th? Do you not celebrate it? And I'm just like, it's a day yeah, off. No, I mean, no like, what are you talking exactly. about? Celebrate the day off. You know, who, Independence no, no, for work nobody, day. <laughs> no, nobody in the UK is offended by this. They're totally fine by it. All right. You know, well, it was just like, enjoy yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, after a while. <laughs> it's, it's incredibly it was, bizarre. It was a bit of time pass. It's, it's yeah. incredibly bizarre that anyone thinks that a Brit would find it offensive. I, I actually always thought my old boss did it because he fancied getting rid of us. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the case. I'm um, Charlie Pellett. Great to catch up with you. Always, my friend. Here's a headline. China is more confident than the United States to handle a trade war. Xinhua. Um, with the latest view out of China, Michael McKee. I feel like this is going down to the wire Friday with some standoff between the U.S. and China and some people sitting here thinking that maybe these tariffs won't go on and they won't go forward. But what's your base case, Mike? I think they go forward. Uh, it just gets you, done. You hear the president yesterday in his television interview saying, no, I'm not going to back down. And we know that 
Donald Trump doesn't like to back down, and if he's gone on the record doubling down on it all, then it would be very hard for him to. And I don't see the Chinese at this point have a, I mean, the kind of things they're putting out right there. They don't have a, a real case for backing down. Uh, when both of them look at the sanctions, the macro level of impact is very small. Yeah. Uh, the Bloomberg Intelligence people put together something today that said, uh, you know, if each side does the 50 billion, it's two tenths maybe to China and then uh, the almost negligible to the United States, although there'll be some severe micro impacts. But uh, they they may just want to see where this goes from here um, until there's real pain. Uh, then neither side has an incentive to to back down. And the other thing is I have not heard or seen nobody's that I've talked to has suggested that there are any talks underway right now. That's interesting because I would have thought if you were hoping that um, we'd get some kind of last-minute back down, that there would be talks taking place. So there are no talks taking place. We face the very real prospect that if you're an automaker exporting into China from the United States, for a couple of days, you get a tariff decrease because China just dropped their tariffs on auto imports, Mike. And then on Friday, you're going to get an increase again. again. I mean, unbelievable. Vince, so bankrupt. buy now. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. All, all wait. It's going to get even now. messier. Can you um, imagine the sales, the, the TV guy? Buy now. Yeah. Yeah. I think only Charlie Pellet could hit that Buy window. now before the trade <laughs> war starts on Friday. Um, Vince, in the FX market, just weaker Chinese currency. What is going on? Yeah, it was a three, um, it, as we measure these things, a three standard deviation move today from a 30-day historical vol, which is a very stretched level. So the currency is depreciating. We'll likely continue till I think we hit a major trend line around 680. We The offshore yuan hit uh, what was 669.5 or so a little bit today. But interesting, you're talking about trade talks. I did a, a story last week. A friend of mine runs a think tank and came out with an interesting report that said President Xi has basically told the provinces and ministries to be prepared for a full-scale trade war. And he personally oversaw a couple of meetings, which he never is involved in. So he very much wanted to be there to... um, to oversee the meetings and and to get his point across. So you talk about neither side looks like they're backing down from this, neither President Trump nor President Xi. It seems an odd time to do it when the economy is doing so, so well, Mike. Well, there's to start no... a fight. And there's a very real prospect in the United States, whatever your economic position, there's a very real prospect that we could have actually seen a real capital investment phase yeah. kicking off here in the United States. Well, no it's been, been jeopardized. No economist would say uh, the tariffs are good. Uh, there are attacks on consumers in the country that imposes the tariffs rather than any kind of penalty for the country that you're imposing them on. And it's a particularly bad time for the U.S. because of the auto – not just the, the fact that you know things are going well and why disrupt that. And there's a real question about how much disruption you get because of business uh, concern about what's going to happen. But uh, automakers are slowing. Tomorrow we get the – June sales figures. Yeah. And when when you're already slowing down, you don't want to have anything that's going to even push you lower. And that's a real concern. And of course, that's that is a very big part of the economy. Unlike steel, uh, autos, huge part of the U.S. Uh, GDP. Michael McKee sticking with me alongside Vincent Signorella coming up on the program. We'll get you the latest on Tesla. A curious move in the stock price where it opened up by about 6% higher and then rolled over deep into negative territory. Where next for this manufacturer, tech company, car producer? As uh, Elon Musk says, we've hit our production target. Have they really? That conversation's next. This is Bloomberg Radio.
This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. What an intraday swing we have seen in Tesla. Positive 6.37%, then negative 3.74%. A massive intraday move. This after Elon Musk said something you could assume was positive news. He said we've become a real car company in the following week of the second quarter. This after it finally hit its goal of producing more than 5,000 Model 3 sedans in one week. The electric car maker was very much soaring. Um, It is not now. Curiously, though, when you dig into the email that he sent to employees, he said not only did we factory gate over 5,000 Model 3s, but we also achieved the SNX production target for a combined 7,000 vehicle week. Do we know what factory gate means? I've been talking to analysts about this today. I suspect it's cars out the door. Scratching their heads saying that maybe that isn't a car company that's actually hit a 5,000 production target, and then in some ways they're not out the door. Well, there have been people leaking stuff out of uh, employees leaking things out of the Tesla production facility, saying things like we're nowhere near hitting uh, the target, et cetera. So I'm, I'm guessing that's what Factory Gate is, the uh, the little sneak leaks coming out of the line. So uh, the, uh, the man himself tweeting 7,000 cars, seven days, Tesla team, I loved this from Stephen Armstrong, the chairman and CEO of Ford Europe. Do you know what he quote tweeted back on Twitter? 7,000 cars, circa four hours. Ford team. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> feel, feel the burn. Don't you, don't you love that kind feel, of thing? Feel the burn. Well, look, I, you know, I'm no uh, equity analyst, and I can't exactly tell you why the stock is up and down as it is, but I think my initial reaction to the news is the same as most investors seem to be having, and that's even if you did it, very nice, but can you do it again? Yeah. And can you do it again and again and again and again? And how yeah. much effort was it yeah. just to get 5,000 done in the final week of June? That I mean, apparently it was a huge effort. I'm reading about their temporary assembly line under a tent out in California. I mean, that's not a recipe for continued success. Uh, You know, uh, everybody likes the cars when they get them, but um, there seems to be a question about (laughs) when can you get them? The the LA Times and others, I have to say, most publications reaching out to Tesla, and the LA Times asked Tesla what Musk meant by factory gate. The company didn't respond. Um, it's, It's unusual to use this kind of new language around production numbers. And then when you try and get a definition out of the company of what that actually means, you can't find out, Vince. To be honest, I mean, every time I hear Musk tweet or say something in a conference call or an interview, he always sounds like a CEO defending a company just before they go off the cliff. And they haven't made money in 15 years. And I'm not... I'm not an equity analyst by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't know if these new cars are the ones that were promised at 35000 or yeah. these cars the ones that have just been raised a price closer to $85,000. Um, these are the Model 3s that were meant to be affordable, but we're finding out. And not, also not anymore. Once you add on the extras. <laughs> Here's the interesting thing. You can factor in today's losses as well. If I just asked you, where do you think Tesla is? considering the amount of negative news flow through the year. Where do you think the stock is year to date? Uh, no idea. Just have a guess. 
by just, just have a guess. Throw it. Throw out a number. Three hundred and thirty. I mean, it's down three percent now. What do you think it is up in percentage points or down in percentage points on the year? Good question. Um, unchanged. I'll say unchanged, just because you're setting us up this way. No, it's That's up a lot. It's, right? it's up six percent. Okay. Oh, right. And before today, it was up almost ten percent. Yeah. And it, it's hard to reconcile the price action with the with the sentiment and, and mood music around this company. Well, it's interesting because people seem to want them to succeed. I mean, yeah. he can raise money, doesn't yeah. have any trouble raising money. And so they're giving him a very wide... That's, you made a really good point. It'd be interesting if he needs to raise again, will, will they get the same response, though? Yeah. Michael McKee, Vincent Signorata, sticking with me. Guys, great to have you with me. Next up on the program, the week ahead, we'll get Mike's insight on the big eco data points and Vince's insight on how this FX market is set up ahead of it. From New York for London, this is The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. From New York City for The Capital, this is Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable. Uh, just gone 548 out of close, the FTSE 100 softer by 1.17%. The S&P 500 negative as we go through the halfway point in the United States, down by a third of 1%. In the FX market, dollar strength against everything in G10, including the Japanese yen. Um, dollar yen, not really doing much today. Um, but elsewhere, it's the Aussie. Those big high beta currencies on Chinese growth and global growth and the uh, commodity market taking it in the face today, in the teeth. Um, I don't know how to make this sound more brutal. <laughs> Euro dollar. A little WWE Euro dollar kind of down thing to one sixteen. <laughs> Let's get um, ready to negative six tenths of one percent. The pound down to uh, one thirty one twenty nine. Sterling. Uh, just down six tenths of one percent. In the bond market, the uh, the stage said as follows: Treasuries yields going nowhere. Two eighty five, two eighty six on a ten year, up by about a basis point on the two year note to two point five four four five percent. Um, guys, I just feel like everyone's exhausted, and it's Monday. <laughs> well, what is going on? Because we I all share Wednesday. <laughs> we, yeah. Well, in the in the United States, in the United States, I'm um, in the UK. You do not. I'm in the UK. A bit of a heat wave, and and I imagine everyone's complaining about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's called summer, guys. I heard like somebody complaining yeah, but, about 84 degrees. Yeah, or it's called summer. <laughs> summer, yeah. But, but everybody's exhausted because it is called summer, and we're supposed to be ramping down. I mean, sell yeah, in May, go away, all just, that. Okay, but how many years is that? Gonna, how many years has that not been true? Well, now, Mike? yeah, true. But I think everybody mentally goes into it thinking yeah. maybe it'll be easier. You got Angela Merkel hanging by a thread. You got Theresa May. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with her? And, uh, and, and Brexit's not going well. And you've got all the things going on in the global trade issues. Um, there's so much for investors to worry about that. I was reading yesterday a piece about how everybody's uh, on Wall Street is uh, turning to meditation because they're just so exhausted by it all. I, I'm going to turn to meditation. We used to turn to drugs and alcohol. Now we go to meditation. We're old. What has happened to the world? What has happened to the world when we turn to meditation? But everyone is exhausted. The news cycle is insane, not just, just here in the United States, but as you point out, Mike, in Europe as well, China's kicking off again. And we've had a couple of summers before over the last couple of years where China's kicked off. We haven't had a summer. No, I think you, you actually hit a good point. The news cycle is really, really tiring. Yeah. I mean, and the, the FX markets have been actually really brutal the last couple of weeks as well. So you just like every time you turn on the news, it's it's either 
one someone in the White House is is bashing trade or someone else is trying to lift it up. There seems like this constant back and forth where even even good news is painful. Well, we we created a lot of this ourselves. I mean, if you think about it, go back and put yourself in 1938, 1939, with everything that was going on in Europe and Hitler's moves and, uh, you know, uh, Chamberlain trying to keep Britain out of war uh, and uh, people, in, you know, uh, uh, on the Tory side pushing, you know, to, to be ready. Then... Uh, on the continent, and in in the United States, you're trying to continue to recover from the big second recession that led to, to it being called the Great Depression. But you didn't have social media. You didn't walk around all day staring at yeah. a screen. And if you're, particularly if you're a currency trader, I mean, you can't let any little bit of thing go by because nope. even if it's wrong, even if it's irrelevant, somebody's going to trade on it. So you've got to be watching, watching, watching. And you get bombarded and, with these tape bombs all day yeah, long. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I don't, th- I don't think the world's gotten necessarily any worse. It's just gotten more present. I, I can't think of the last time we had a bit of a break. I mean, was it 2012 was Euro debt crisis, 13 was taper tantrum. What was 14? What happened in 14? Did, <laughs> we, did, we, get, did we get a summer right. in 14? <laughs> Is that when Yellen took over? Uh, I don't know if we got a summer in 14 or not. 15 was China. Yeah. You know, I mean, we just, it hasn't stopped, has it? It just literally just hasn't stopped. 16 was the U.S. election, which was bad enough. Yeah. You know, keep it all... Keep, keeping up with that through the, yeah, through the yeah. U.S. election, through the summer into... It was Clinton. Oh, well, and Trump, don't forget, Clinton, starting Trump, in 2010, Trump, Greece, on, off, on, off, on, off. Yeah. So. And, and you, you could have the whole EU on, off in the next coming months. The Italian situation has not been resolved. Germany, as you mentioned, not resolved. Trying to keep the European Union and the euro together for close to 20 years now. <laughs> Without a fiscal, you're saying Brussels backdrop. is exhausted. I imagine Brussels takes a month off. Yeah, they do. The month, <laughs> yeah. I think they take more than a month they, off. They get, Brussels. Brussels gets August off. Does this mean the the the, the cable goes on break for August? I, honestly, <laughs> yeah. I just think everyone needs a break um, through August. Um, this week's a busy one. Auto sales, as Mike has already pointed out, tomorrow. Look out for that. The NICE will close early, 1 p.m. Eastern, ahead of the July 4th holiday. Eurozone retail sales coming out as well. Wednesday, the U.S. celebrating Independence Day, so stock and bond markets closed on the other side of the Atlantic. Thursday, the EIA crude oil inventory report. The FOMC minutes are released as well. Then Friday, Payrolls Friday and the U.S. is scheduled to impose tariffs on $34 billion of Chinese goods. And, Mike, as you pointed out to me, did my show, Vince. It was actually quite funny. Get to the end of the show and do what I always do at the end of the TV show, which is look ahead to the rest of the week. What are the data points? What are the things we're looking for? And we forgot to mention payrolls. I mean, no one's even talking about payrolls, Mike. No. <laughs> it's not even on the radar. That's that's the fun thing about it all is, like, what do we do now? Um, we also didn't mention uh, there's – a football game tomorrow that you might have. Yes, in. there is. And, you know, like a good traitor um, who's abandoned the country, um, I've got Colombia in my bracket. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in the city, that's all that's going to. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. But I think, is, is, it, is it at 2 p.m. or 10? 2 p.m. U.S. Time. It's 2 p.m. U.S. So, so the market will be after closed. the market's so closed. everyone will but, be back home. But, yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, I felt that Mexico versus Brazil, I imagine damaged volume a little bit over yeah, today. Always. I mean I actually squawked that this morning. Did you? Uh, well basically we had US data coming up at ten o'clock and I started with besides the Brazil Mexico game at ten o'clock, <laughs> we have construction spending, et cetera, et cetera. If if you're willing to watch it, which, you know, hardly anyone is, right? Well, I mean 
you know, who's going to look out for the data point when you can watch the football? Well, I'll tell you, as a, a, in the days when I worked at Santander, they have an auditorium in the basement with a big TV screen. So you go down there during this time of the year <laughs> at your own risk because the factions are at it. It's pretty I like intense. that. I like that a lot. Guys, great to catch up with you. Have a great week, and I hope you both get some rest. Vincent Signorella, Bloomberg's Michael McKee, our very own here in New York. For our listeners across the capital, have a fantastic day. Keep enjoying the weather. Don't complain about it. It's very rare we get a summer in the UK. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio.